You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Gary Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. All right, welcome back. It is time for another edition of the Unofficial 40 as the crew is all back together. Uh, Joe Duvall is not sick this week, so he is back in studio as well. Eddie Radosovich joins us, who is looking at about five different devices, probably watching Amen Corner, checking out the uh, preferred group, and maybe looking at the uh, driving range a little bit. The the specialized groups this morning at the Masters, That's just, it was just insulting. I, I could give a shit about what Kevin Kisner's doing. <laughs> Uh, well, you got to see Zach Johnson tee off early, and he's sucking, so that's that's got to yeah, make you smile a little bit. We were bit. just talking about how much he sucks at life. That's I like it. Those sunglasses are cool, man. It's got to be hard, Eddie, because I, I would think that this would be the year for you to be in Augusta. You could be hiding outside the bushes of uh, Dustin Johnson's house to see whether or not uh, he could walk or not. Yeah, if, uh, if, if OU could figure out that the Masters weekend is more important than the spring game, maybe I would have gone. I think it actually is now because the way that people talked about it was probably, I wouldn't be shocked if Joe Castiglione wants to have a marketing meeting with the football department because it was basically, yeah, we're going to go out there, do some stuff. I mean, Lincoln Riley once again said, we're going to be very vanilla. <laughs> yeah, he was just like straight up too. He's like, don't expect to see anything on Saturday. Yeah, Jeff Mead was saying the same thing, and, and Mike House, Mike Houck, the communications guy for OU, was standing right behind me, and you can kind of see Jeff Mead look at him and go, oh, oh, wait, no, but it's going to be a good game. We're going to compete hard. <laughs> but he had already let the cat out of the bag that they were – it's just going to be, you know, a scrimmage. I think he said that the most important thing players think about is not getting hurt. That's what he said was that you're really just going out here. If you've played before, you just don't want to get hurt. Well, let's bring in also uh, Josh McQuistian, who was telling us a riveting story, uh, which I feel really bad – because he asked, he, he posted the story on the board, and he asked all three of us if we'd read yeah. it, and none of us had read it. Well, it must have. It was in something. Was it inside was, another post? Yeah, it, it was wasn't titled like "OT." This I, happened to me. Yeah, th- th- no, it, it wasn't a direct post. Like it wasn't a a new post. It was within the one where I kind of notified everybody we'd changed the chat time. And oh, it was kind I of saw a, that, but he, he, I, yeah. Here's an update, and you know, and for the, those listening, uh, I, I have a two and a half year old daughter. Took her to a baseball game, and she she was really great. It, it, she, well, I think we went through six innings, and really, it, more than anything, she just got tired. So it was time to go home. You know, we're Big past the bedtime, the lady, yeah. and kind of as the game was going on, she kind of kept saying, "Oh, my stomach hurts." But I had said something to Tiffany before, like my stomach wasn't feeling great. So we kind of thought she was just 
following off what I'd said. We get home and she, I mean, she starts getting upset, you know, and you can tell like something's not right, but we're getting her in bed. We think she's just sleepy. Well, she gets about half in bed and all of a sudden she, it's dark in a room and I'm trying to get her into her pajamas and she turns around and I mean, there's no hesitation. There's no warning, nothing. She just vomits all over me. Like just, <laughs> and this was my first experience. Like she has, you know, you hear all the horror stories and all this sort of stuff. She's never been a big puking kid like she doesn't get sick very often she gets runny noses but nothing that serious but this was this was a hearty helping you know because i mean it was pretty much all of her uh her baseball game diet it, it was not pretty you're lucky because i i kind of helped raise this is the story sounds bad i kind of helped along a four-year-old and a seven-year-old uh as they were little and had to had to spend a lot of time with them they're it's a sad, it's stupid. I don't want to. Their dad died. He was one of my best friends. And so I would spend a lot of time with him. But the four year old, we had to travel with a puke pot. Like she would puke <laughs> anywhere, anytime for no reason. Like not even like eating. Like she would just, she was a pukey kid. Doesn't that not oh. make you puke too? I can't be, if you smell it's it, not I see fun. it. It's not fun. It's, I mean, yeah, I don't it's react like that, well to other people's puke. I'm that scene in The Replacements. If you're going to puke in the huddle, I'm going to puke too. I am kind of like Vince Vaughn in Four Christmases. Like, you know, when the baby pukes on him, he's like, it's on me. I'm, I'm going to puke too. Ugh. See, Tiffany and I had our designations a long time ago. I'm more leery of poop, although you kind of get, once you have a kid, you kind of have to just come to terms with that. But like when we had dogs and they were puppies... You know, if they throw up, that was pretty much me. If they poop, that was more Tiffany's deal because that grossed me out and vomit kind of messes with her as to where, like, Lainey puked on me and my first thought is, is she going to puke again? I like, like that. That's all I was thinking. There was no, like, oh, I'm going to get sick. Did she cry after she puked? She did. It, it upset her because she didn't know, you know, like, they don't understand what's happening. They yeah. don't know. She doesn't know why she just did what she did. And uh, probably even more scary because it was dark. She couldn't even see it. Like, she just knew something came out of her mouth. And the, and the look on the little kid's face is like, they can't figure out what just happened. Is this my fault? Are you mad at me? Like, the, the range of emotions that little kids have after they puke is always funny. Because I know, like, I would assume as a parent, anytime a, a kid pukes, you're like, oh, no. Like, you think they just did something horrible. But you're not blaming them, but they don't understand the dynamic of the puke. Yeah. Well, Lainey can always tell because I immediately, like, if she has, you know, God, this poor girl, she's going to, like, live in fear of this podcast someday 15 years from now. But, like, if she has, like, a, you know, when she was wearing a diaper, if she had a bad diaper accident or, you know, something like that, like, I immediately take her to the bathroom. Like, that's my first move. Because there it's tile and it's hard and I can I can isolate the damage. You know, it's not going to get into the carpet or anything like that. So that's always my first thought. So I think that's her first alarm bell that something is wrong. Is if if I pick her up like by her armpits and like carry her at arm's length into wherever uh, whatever bathroom is nearest, she kind of knows something is is really off. Well, congratulations on the on the wonderment of uh, fatherhood then. Yeah, th- uh, again, my first pure straight into dad vomit. So I, uh, it's a big moment for me on the calendar. All right. Uh, so, Josh, you guys, let's let's break this down before we get too much further into spring. Uh, you guys uh, all were in Dallas over the weekend for the Rivals Camp Series. Uh, a lot of Oklahoma kids uh, down for the camp as well. 
Uh, let's just go, start with you, Josh. Your uh, first impressions, what stood out to you most about Rivals Camp Dallas? Well, for me, I think what really caught my attention, and you know, talking to Joe and Eddie, I think they'll probably echo this a little bit, was just what good shape Oklahoma is in um, – in in-state recruiting right now, because you look at you know already having the the unquestioned state top prospect in uh, Bray Walker on board. Well, then you also have you know Patrick Fields already on board. Um, you go into Jordan Kelly, but then you just keep adding, and you're looking at guys like Ron Tatum, who it seems like Oklahoma's in great shape with. Really, the same story with Jalen Redmond, Bryce Bray. <coughs> excuse me. Feels like a matter of time. You know, it, he's going to be there this weekend. It wouldn't shock me if he committed while he's on campus this weekend. So, I mean, you're looking at Oklahoma maybe having every in-state offer locked up by the 4th of July. You know, I, that that's just that, – man, I take that back. Josh Proctor being the kind of outlier. Yeah. But I still think OU's in good shape there. So, I mean, it's just staggering that it's not only becoming a more and more respected class – uh, nationally within the state, but Oklahoma's doing really well with that class. Josh, it was just impressive to see, like, you you know, we would go from position group to position group, and there were a handful of guys from each position group outside of the quarterback that were from Oklahoma. And I think that, I, I guess I'm kind of reiterating the same thing that you just said, but that was the first time that I can remember going to a rivals camp and some of the better guys I guess, being from Oklahoma, and that was without Bray Walker down in Dallas. Yeah, you think about the guys that we haven't even mentioned, like Will Phillips did really well, and you know, uh, you think about guys that didn't even show up, like Sean Shaw or C.J. Mm -hmm. Moore. Like, this is a great year uh, in Oklahoma. I, 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 it might, I mean, even at the top, it's got elite talent with Bray Walker, and it's got that kind of depth. Uh, I, I don't know what it says about the state of Oklahoma. I don't know if you can draw too big of conclusions, but I, I think it's just a great sign for a, a, a Oklahoma team that's you know, if, if they can build more in-state, then that's a great news for them because they, they've shown that they don't want to be solely reliant on Texas. And the more you can get that stuff from in-state, the better. I don't think there's a guy that was more impressive just from a, I guess from a stance of not having not seen him in six months than the 2019 running back out at Enid, who jo or Joe just said is Will Phillips. I think he's going to be absolutely big time. And he's transferred to Midwest City, right? No, he's staying at Enid. Oh, he's staying at Enid, huh? Yep. Yeah, th there were some issues with who he was going to live with and that kind of thing. So that that was possibility was out there. But yeah, he he's going to stay at Enid, and you know you look at Enid doesn't produce a lot of guys, but when they do, it's there's usually some players in that group. Trent Dupe and uh, Clint Shelf went to Oklahoma State in '09. You know, weren't superstars, but they were good players. And then you look, you know, obviously Austin Box. You know the you know the, the all the I think so much of what we remember is the sad stuff, but Austin Box was a good football player. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's... Austin um, Box carried an entire yeah, team... to the state title game. ...to the state title game in Class 6A. And I nearly mean, nearly knocked off Jinx, too. I mean, well, it wasn't that close, on but... On both sides of the yeah. ball. I mean, he was fantastic. I, I still tell that story of when Austin went down to the Army All-American game and uh, his senior year, you know, after it was completed... He, he didn't have a great week, according to some of the rivals people. I didn't see it. I didn't go down that particular year, so I couldn't really speak to it. But everybody was kind of like, ah, oh, we were a little disappointed. He didn't do what we thought he was going to. So the talk started, well, he's going to drop out of the rivals 100. So I call Alan Trimble, you know, it, the Jinx head coach, and wanted to talk to him. And I kind of said, hey, you know, what do you think of Austin Box? And he goes, 
that is the best high school football player I've seen in Oklahoma in a decade. I mean, he he was he could not he he basically was like you guys are nuts if you drop him. That that guy is outstanding. He he just went on and on and on about Austin Box and I, that really was. And I sent it all in to our rival guys. I was like, listen, this guy knows what he's looking at, and he thinks we're nuts. So. And that really that was pretty much the crux of him staying in the Rivals 100 that year. And he he was an incredible athlete. Uh, Austin, baseball player. Yeah, Austin and I were in the same grade growing up. He played for uh, a team called the Enid A's, which was a traveling team. He hit once hit three home runs in one game against us, and he was the best player by far on Enid, which had Tyson Singh on it, who ended up playing uh, yeah. for OU. But I mean, Austin Box was the best player on that team. He was a center fielder, was their best hitter. I, he 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 was an incredible athlete, and. Uh, I don't, I don't even know how we went down this tangent, but uh, it's kind of nice to talk about him a little bit. Uh, I mean, just in terms of, of – I mean, it's interesting what you said, Josh, about, you know, people, you know, how many of these kids are really, you know, doing – or Oklahoma, how well Oklahoma's doing with a lot of these kids. And it shows you, like, people get upset because Josh Proctor is looking at Ohio State, but, like, that's one kid, like one kid in the entire state that you're not doing well with uh, – it's it's a little bit of a loss of perspective, but at the same time, I understand it's a local kid. Uh, if you start getting into this, you know, now Oklahomans are going to. I don't think it would be so bad if you hadn't had this, you know, this this mass exodus as it seems of Texas kids to Ohio State. But now if they're coming into Oklahoma, I can see the panic from that perspective. But man, it's going to be tough for a kid in Oklahoma. It's not like Texas. I think it's going to be tough with all these kids around him, and even you know we talked about in the spring Justin Broyles still heavily involved in recruiting kids that he knows but there's going to be a lot of pre- pressure on Josh Proctor not from fans or teammates or things like that but other kids in the state to come to Oklahoma but when it's all said and done I think that's that's a really great point Kerry that I don't think a lot of people think about when you mention this isn't like Texas in Oklahoma these guys all know each other so if you can get that momentum and that wheel kind of rolling in the right direction it changes everything really quickly, and I think that's that's a great point because Josh Proctor knows Patrick Fields really well, and Patrick is quickly taking on that Justin Broyles role in this kind of class. He is he wants to know everybody. He wants to talk to everybody. I, I, I feel safe in telling people now that even before he announced um, his commitment at the Nike camp in Dallas, he had heard um, that T.J. Pledger was really thinking about committing to Oklahoma – and he immediately is like, Josh, can you put me in touch with him? You know, yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, Patrick just has that mentality of, I'm going to get every guy here with me. I-, I think everybody probably saw the video he was doing with um, uh, our guy, uh, Eddie, you know, Michael uh, from Oklahoma Preps Extra. I'm going to blank on Mike's last name. Uh, Knight. Uh, Michael Knight. Yeah, Michael Knight. And where he was like, we're going to get Ron Tatum. We're going to get Jalen Redmond. I mean, he is just. He has that mindset of I want the best guys with me, and whatever I need to do to go get them, that's what I'm going to do. And Josh, I mean, I think about Josh Proctor being from Owasso. Is is there a little difference from guys from the Tulsa area versus guys from the Oklahoma City area? I mean, I, it seems to me Tulsa area kids seem to have more of a a little bit of an openness to the idea of you know flirting with uh, seeing what else is out there. I don't know if it's because o- Oklahoma State's nearby or Arkansas is nearby. There's more competition there it's closer to what the environment's like in texas where you have all these competing schools nearby whereas in the the metro of oklahoma city it's 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 just basically ou i think i think it goes both ways i think sometimes in the city area it's a different reason 
but you'll see guys like going back to Josh Turner from Millwood. That's what Josh was like. If if Norman was in Denton, he'd be go- he'd have gone to OU. He just didn't want to be that close to home. He wanted to get out and experience something new and try something. And I think that is that's where the Oklahoma City guys sometimes run into that. People always forget Ryan Broyles grew up a Texas fan. You know, he he was always open about that. He wanted to go to Texas. Texas didn't recruit him, so he ended up at Oklahoma. So I think sometimes it's for different reasons that you see that. But in Tulsa, you kind of it's always interesting because the fan bases are so antagonistic and kind of at one another's throat. But if you talk to a union player and a jinx player, almost invariably those guys respect each other. They grew up playing against each other. In some cases, they played together and they like each other. So it's always just kind of different um, reasons that kind of end up with the same result, I guess. And I think it's big, too, anytime if you're at Oklahoma, especially with those Union and Tulsa guys, if you get guys from those high schools coming to Oklahoma and have success, I've always thought that that breeds those kids to really look at Oklahoma more favorably. Patrick Fields thinks the world of Stephen Parker. Like, I mean, and again, you're talking about a Union guy thinking highly of a Jinx guy. I mean, it's just those things aren't the same amongst players. And like I said, I mean, Patrick thinks a lot of Stephen. I think he would like to really do just exactly what Stephen has done. In a way, I I don't think that that – and I guess you could say it just on the landscape of sports in general nowadays. I don't think that that rivalry between Jinx and Union, while it's still strong, I don't think that kids grow up hating each other, I guess, like like they used to. When you consider that, you know, all these guys are at rivals camps together, they're at the opening camps together. I guess that's kind of just a general statement, but. You know what? I mean, what else is weird, though, is like if Archie Bradley hadn't been such a great baseball player and he'd he'd been a a quarterback in college and came to Oklahoma and had success, like what's the bell cow for Broken Arrow at Oklahoma? I mean, there's so many more at OSU you can point to than you can. So it's almost like they've kind of. Like, Oklahoma State kind of has a little bit of a pipeline at Broken Air because, I mean, they take guys like Zach Veach and make them into really good players. Yeah, and they have uh, Giossi Akeem up there. there yeah. uh, the, I think there's one more. I guess well, maybe not. Well, there could have been... Uh, yeah, the, uh, the running back. <laughs> That's like Devin Thomas, yeah. right? Yeah, it could have... Well, he was... The, yeah, the last couple of guys from sure Broken, Broken Air that have committed to Oklahoma haven't even made it there. I'm just trying to think. There, I don't think there has been a guy from... Broken Arrow that has ended up at OU. That's had success. That's had success. I think they there might have been a and baseball so player. Many big linemen. I mean, uh, Jacob Evans was a Broken Arrow guy. Yeah, I think. Uh, the the I'm trying to guys. Here's a good question: the last Broken Arrow guy to go to OU and play football. Yeah, that's that's. I I know the name, but it's oh. it's one that you'd have to think about. Stoops era. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you. He was a lineman. Okay. And it rhymes with a unfavorable facial um, anomaly, I guess you'd say. Man, I. Brian Zimple. Oh wow. Going way back. <laughs> I never would have thought pimple <laughs> I, I, <laughs> in a million years. I, I, you said unfortunately well, facial I said anomaly. I thought so goatee. Weird. I was like, I've made this worse. I probably made it harder than rather than giving them an actual assist that was, here. That was also a major league flakeout, Brian Zimple. 
wasn't he the one? Didn't he get some trouble for riding on a golf cart around? There like was, there was he, all like, kinds of stuff. Like, yeah, and there he was, was something. always a. I always thought he was a great kid when he was in high school, and he, he was a mm-hmm. great interview. But he had a screw loose. That sounds like the name of somebody Rick Moranis would play. That doesn't sound like a football name. Brian Zimple. He was a good player. He just screwed it up. Mm-hmm. Kind of like because he was in that same era. Like I feel like that little time period. They were always in trouble in cars. There was the Brent Rawls thing. Yeah, there was fun. Brian Zimple, and there was one other one that I'm gonna forget, that I can't remember exactly what I'm thinking of. But I know there was there was one other incident, and it was always like a golf cart or a car or something else was going way wrong. Gosh, I I'm just thinking. I don't even remember that name to be honest. Brian Eddie, Zimple, you would have been still in high school. Okay, I think Zimple was like O two or O three if I remember right, Carrie. That sounds. I mean, it, yeah, I, I I'm wanna not a hundred. I want to say, yeah, he was. He would have been recruited by Mangino, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. But uh, I mean, if I remember right, he was a high three, low four kind of guy. I mean, he wasn't just you know some nobody. So basically, down in Dallas, you kind of felt like the skill talent from the state of Texas really wasn't there, and really OU's commit was probably the head and shoulders better than anybody else. Well, I mean, like, you you know, and the guys can back me up on this. The quarterbacks, I didn't think were a particularly great group. Uh, the Grant Gunnell kid that everybody talks about, his footwork was sloppy. I, I, just, I wasn't as impressed with him as I expected to be. At running back, an Oklahoma kid took home the MVP. And in my opinion, the guys I saw thought Will Phillips was the best of the bunch. But uh, T.K. Wilkerson, the Tulsa commitment from uh, Skya took, was actually the MVP. At wide receiver, I mean – there were definitely some good players there, but nobody that just screamed out at me is, you know, you didn't see the the Sedarian Lamb or the Jalen Rager or the the Charleston Rambo of last year. And then on the lines, I, I'll be honest, I thought Ron Tatum got robbed a little bit from D-line MVP. I thought he was clearly the best guy I saw. Um, although Jalen Redmond had a re- – Jalen Redmond won every single rep. So you just go down the list and – it was really strong from Oklahoma through the whole camp. I, I left the camp thinking, and I think Joe and I talked about it on the way home from Dallas, was if OU can get Ron Tatum and Jalen Redman, I think that I don't know if you can do better than that, to be honest. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, is that just, is that being completely okay preps Homer? I don't think so. I think we'll know a lot more in about six weeks when we all go to St. Louis and see like Trevor Trout and Ronnie Perkins yeah. and Daniel Carson. And all those guys, because at that camp will pretty much be the other group of players that Oklahoma is looking at on the defensive line. So and we said, we'll know a lot more then just because we can compare with our own eyeballs. Didn't we see Trevor Trout at the KC camp last year? Was he there? He was there last year, okay. yeah. And I liked Trevor Trout because even at that point, I think Rivals had him in the, you know, the preliminary Rivals 100. And I didn't see uh, a world beater guy, but I thought he was definitely a good player. Um, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see what growth he's made in that year. No, I thought out of everybody that that impressed me the most was Marquise Hayes out of that camp. Yeah, that was that was oh. like the the story of the yeah. camp. I almost. think he might have had a K State offer at that point, and that was about it. Or he just got a K State offer right yeah. after that camp. It was yep. And didn't he hear from Oklahoma? I mean, a few days following that mm-hmm. or something. It, it was within 48 hours, and then like two days later, oh, uh, Bill Bedenboe went up and saw him. So I mean, they they wasted. No time once they'd seen his tape. And I mean, 
Guys, it wasn't hard to see because, I mean, I think we all had the same opinion when we first saw him. Like, oh, he's kind of big and sloppy. And then you saw him start moving around. You're like, well, he may not look perfect, but good Lord, he's violent. Then you don't, I mean, start was, noticing how long his arms were uh-huh, and you know, what his base was like. And, and then he showed up in Atlanta. Butt. I mean, when he showed up in Atlanta, he was great there, too. I mean, he uh, stopped Marvin Wilson a couple times. I mean, he was somebody that no matter who he went up Marvin against. Marvin Wilson was trying to kill people at that point. <laughs> And Marquise Hayes might have blocked him just as well as anybody. So I, that that's somebody who took a regional camp, who was a regional guy, and just came out and showed out. And I mean, when you're that good, people will notice. He has uh, Marquise Hayes very much has a an ass that you look at it and you say, "Bill Beatembo would like that ass." <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm glad that's what you saw, Eddie. No, but that's I mean, we're all going up to St. Louis this year, and I'm excited for that camp. Just after that Kansas City camp and. Knowing, I mean, that's that is such an interesting battleground right now because I don't think anybody looks at Missouri and says, "Oh yeah, I want to go there for the next four years." Like you're looking at Missouri and saying, "Are those guys going to be there in a couple of years?" Guys, you know what's really interesting? There's a decent chance that Bray Walker's at that camp. Hmm. In St. So Louis. imagine getting to watch him go against some of those guys for a while. That'll be worth the price of admission. I mean, that'll be awesome. Yeah, you're talking about weird MVPs. Like, remember when when Warren Wan came down to the Houston Rivals camp and won MVP? <laughs> that was bizarre. And do you remember who he beat out that day? If I rem- wasn't, no, it would have been the year after Samaj P. Ryan. Okay, yeah, I was thinking was it was the year. P. Ryan was the year. year that was before, when Lampkin right. was there. Yep, yep, you're right. That yeah, was, that was uh, Parrish Cobb was there that year. Uh, so that was that that was a year full of uh, interesting storylines. Might need to go back to. Uh, we made it the, out of there with with our cars. Yeah, might need to go back and check the uh, Houston police blotters that weekend. <laughs> make sure the parish cop wasn't in there. God, jeez. Have they released an official word yet on him? What's I mean? I, I mean, they're just moving on like he's not there. But has there been anything official? I mean, I don't think the the felony has been taken off the charge. Listen, so, I will. I will be at the lowest of lows in the criminal defense system if Aaron Hernandez is found not guilty, which I saw this morning as a possibility. Really? What? Yeah. That's I mean, what Dan that's Wetzel the thing said. about it. Like, you can do stupid things as a kid. And it's like, every time something comes out, and look, don't get me wrong, I don't feel bad for the kid at all, but every time something comes out about Joe Mixon, like, he met with the Saints yesterday. And because the general manager would only confirm that they met and the meeting went well, like the Times Picayune or whoever it was that wrote the story, it's like, okay, so now every time a story gets written about Joe Mixon, it is this little bitty blurb at the top, and then it's filler that rehashes everything that he's ever done wrong in his life. Like it talks about the punch and the girl and what happened to him and the suspension and, and you know, and leaving early. And it, it like, it's like that, it, that's really bad, but. You you rob three different people in one night and at gunpoint. You're a felon. Like I, you shouldn't be able to plead out of a felony charge in that situation. You just rob three people at gunpoint. Or a general manager says, "Hey, this guy's good at stealing. Maybe he could steal a football. Get let's get him on the field." <laughs> he's also lucky he's not dead. You walk into a store to steal something at gunpoint. You meet the wrong guy behind the cash register. <laughs> Again, that's it. Not happening in Waco. I mean, he was just the wheel man, but to me, you're never going to see Parrish Cobb again unless it's like 
You'd have to go to Juco somewhere. Well, well, didn't you see that? Wasn't it in uh, Broken Arrow or somewhere up in Tulsa where three guys went to rob somebody and then they got mowed down by an AR-15? And, and they're my. they're charging the getaway driver girl with murder too, since she was an accomplice and she led to the crime. So maybe Parish Cobb has a future in NASCAR. Maybe he's just a good driver. <laughs> see, look at Eddie. He's turning weaknesses into strengths here. You know, he's trying to find future careers. It's what we do. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about ever asking a Parish Cobb question again. I'll just say that. Oh, no. what would you get? I, a, would you get a better response out of a Parish Cobb question, Bob, or a LJ Bouncy Moore question? Oh, you know he's going to talk to the media tomorrow. Oh, Bob is. Yeah. Uh, after, that, before that, practice, does that question get asked? If they, Gosh. It, if they say the spring game is just going to be them going through the motions, then I mean that storyline seems as good as anything. That story's not hard to write. It's written. I think I think Lincoln Riley made sure of that yesterday. And Baker basically saying this is weird because we're barely halfway through our practices and we're having a spring game. Like, they're not looking at it like this isn't the... Usually a spring game is the conclusion of all the hard work you put in, the winter conditioning, this and that. Not even the players can look at it. That This isn't a celebration. This is just an open practice. It's not a spring game. It's the weirdest thing that I've ever seen. And you were talking about the Masters. It felt to me like OU was promoting Brad Dalkey and the Masters more than they are the spring game coming up. I saw Bob Stoops talking about hey, everybody watch Dalkey at the it's Masters. Eddie's fault. So I, I feel like there's more buzz surrounding uh, uh, Dalkey and Augusta than there is about the spring game coming up. No, we, we uh, played Eddie's question on the radio this morning. Take a drink. All right. Um, to uh, to uh, Lincoln Riley. So about yeah. Brad Dalkey. Yeah, played there once. Been there once. <laughs> That's, yeah, that, that's is, a, that was Lincoln's that was a, that was a, response. That was a course drop. Yeah. That of course, was. if I, played, yeah, if I played Augusta, I would be telling anybody, too, every time I got the No, that, that's a fact. Hey, that's why I you played a Augusta. Shirt. I mean, like, Steve Spurrier Sr. like plays that, like, every year, doesn't he? He had, uh, I'm, I don't know. He has a member friend or something. Well, right? he had, like, written into his contract at, UC, at uh, South Carolina. He had a membership written into his contract is what I wow. once be- that's or baller. heard. Because uh, Columbia is not very far from Augusta. I think it's only like 75, 80 miles. Eddie, you know we have a member that's a member at St. Andrews, right? Could literally get you on at St. Andrews? No, but... I didn't know that. If they uh, if that's they fact. DM me, we'll get this going. We'll head yep. over. Scoop HD takes on uh, Britain. <laughs> Great Britain. I, I don't, I don't want to put him or out Scotland. there because I feel like he would get hit with a bunch of maybe we new could do friends. Like a, maybe but, we yeah. could do a Hyde Park. We'll go see Kings of Leon. Then we'll scoot on over to St. Andrews. And we'll wrap it up all into a big Tom Wart feature. Joe, you're fired to free up funds. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I mean, you're not going to get that much out of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, yeah, but I don't even know. But, yeah, the spring game, I mean, I know, Joe, you kind of put together a list of guys to watch for. I don't think there there's any question the number one thing well there i mean we can debate it but the biggest storyline throughout the spring and, and it was asked about yesterday started a twitter beef between dd westbrook and baker mayfield on the sooner scoop account was i think everybody wants to see marquise brown how fast is this guy what can he be a number one go-to guy for the sooners next year i i think uh that was a pretty cool moment to see D.D. Westbrook and Marquise Brown kind of going back at it because I think Marquise genuinely believes he's faster than D.D. They were playing around, but 
I think he thinks that. So uh, the buzz you're hearing from practice, too, is that Marquise Brown is, is, is putting it on the field. It's not just he's fast. He actually seems to be getting behind the defense and making big plays. So if Oklahoma wants to be the offense that they were a year ago, uh, you can't just assume Baker Mayfield's going to do it all. They need somebody to beat a guy. I mean, Lincoln Riley says that all the time. They need somebody to win one-on-one. You have to win one-on-one in this offense. And with the speed of Marquise Brown, that I think that's the guy that opens up the offense if he's if he's that guy. So, yeah, I mean, he's number one, right, for people that the fans especially want to see uh, out on the field. It, it was kind of interesting listening to uh, Lincoln Riley talk. I, if you... We put up the video on the board if anybody wants to watch it. Uh, it's post-practice from 4-5, but he was very complimentary of uh, the uh, the Oklahoma wide receiver unit going in next year. And I think the the one guy that kind of jumped off the page was uh, Dahu Green, he said, is yeah. playing about as well as, he's had, as he has played since being in Norman, <coughs> since Lincoln Riley has been down there. So uh, I guess that's a, maybe a guy to watch on Saturday. Is that an objection from you, Josh? That that was a Dahu Green doing this thing kind of deal. So you know we can, you can just go ahead and get back on board, Kerry. I know you've you've been on the Jeff Mead train. Just it stopped. It's it's oh, it's I'm going not no off farther. the train. I've I've heard some unbelievable things about Jeff Mead in fall camp. Mm. One handed catches, huge touchdown grabs. What about the two handed catches? A lot of those too. Oh, Jeffrey Mead. It was funny, I asked Jeffrey Mead yesterday, like, does Baker treat you more like kind of in his inner circle now, kind of like his go-to guy? Uh, and it was almost like he, it was almost like asking someone that it was like a big Justin Bieber fan, like, how much do you love Justin Bieber? Because he was like, I can't read his mind, but I hope I'm his go-to guy. Like, it was just kind of, like, he's very cool. He's a cool customer. He's a good interview, but I'd never really heard him be like, you know, I hope Baker likes me because I think he likes me. I think Do you think he likes me? It was a moment of honesty. <laughs> he really wanted to know. I, and I think you also asked him, are you seeing more targets than you did last year? And he said, no, about the same. And I didn't follow up on that. And I, yeah, I, I think he was saying like I made a whole bunch of plays last year, which is what we heard, which I heard that I I remember when uh, camp started last year, I heard a ton of buzz about Jeff Mead and the plays he was making, and I thought he was going to be a guy. And I mean, he he was better than he had been. The Iowa State game was a good game. He had a good catch in, against Baylor, but uh, it, it seems to me that the doing it in practice isn't the problem for Jeff Mead. It's going to be you know doing it in a game, do it in, when the lights are on. And see, I spent most of my time post-practice yesterday talking to Baker, but I know, Eddie, you were over there with Lincoln. Yeah, I was over there the entire time. And you time. said that, uh, you told me before we started, like, he is still really high on Abdul Adams, right? Yeah. I mean, somebody asked him about the just kind of the overview of the running backs, and uh, Lincoln Riley said that Abdul Adams has been their most consistent running back throughout the entire spring. And I think that, you know, there was... It, it's kind of weird, too. It's like, for some somehow... Abdul Adams caught a bunch of heat from the board and from the fan base for having a quote unquote down year. And I'm not really sure how you can form that opinion. It's because he got when he was caught the, from behind that one time against Iowa State. Yeah, Who was that? Yeah, it was Iowa State. Uh, but I don't know. I just think it's kind of stupid that Abdul Adams has been painted into this corner when 
really his career hasn't even started at Oklahoma. And he averaged over five yards a carry last year. I mean, all that stuff's just people with their eyeballs thinking that he wasn't as explosive as they thought he was going to be coming out of high school. But I think it's just you're taught that you have to hate one of the running backs. Like, yeah. oh, he's Chris Brown. He's going to steal carries from DeMarco Murray. Like, I don't want to see him on the field, even though he does pretty well, because he doesn't do well enough. It's it's just like, I don't know. It I guess that's it. I mean, it's just you have to find one scapegoat to, or not even a scapegoat. It's just always been that way. Yeah. Brendan Clay was that guy? Well, that's because Brendan Clay sucked. <laughs> <laughs> See? <laughs> I guess it's true. Yeah. I mean, people didn't really hate Alan Patrick. Because he played with Adrian Peterson. People hated Keywon Jones because he was yeah. a starter, not because he was stealing yeah. anybody's carries. He just wasn't that good. It's just strange. I But I, I think that, you know, Abdul Adams is certainly a guy to watch. Lincoln Riley was extremely high on him, mentioned that he was beat up towards the end of the year. And I think that, you know, when you're looking at, if you're putting all your money on Rodney Anderson, which I don't think is wrong, I, I think I'm in the Rodney Anderson camp. But at the same time, don't forget about Abdul Adams. We'll and by the that. way, I would love to see Dahu Green succeed, Josh. It's not like I'm rooting against him. <laughs> and hey, and I feel the same way, but I mean, we got to have something to argue about. It can't be all, you know, friendly and cordial around here. That wouldn't, nobody wants to hear that. By the way, uh, you know, I know everybody gets talking a lot about scholarship numbers and, oh, you know, uh, if this transfer comes in, how do you make room for him and stuff? Let's talk about real quick the Minnesota kid because that was a weird deal, and it's kind of one of those every every once in a while you have this. What was it Camille Jackson moment, where like they announce that they're going to do something, but maybe they don't have the whole story or don't really know. I mean, was that kind of what the Minnesota thing was? The the kid from Minnesota, like he said he was taking. First off, he said he was taking an official visit to. And somebody was asking me about this the other day, Josh. Maybe you can have the answer to this. Like, is there even a limit on? And and does like, I guess OU paid for, uh, um, Pagano. Pagano. To, yeah, to Pagano and Padet. Right? Yeah, I mean they they both came in. I, to my understanding, it's just like reopening your recruitment. I mean, you you get five visits. It, it works in the exact same process. I don't. The thing that I'm never sure about is what the communication is like. If, if it's still, you know, oh, you can only call once a week in certain windows, or if it's just, you know, he's a, high, he's a college senior, man. You call him when you want to, you know, he'll call you, that kind of thing. But again, with a high school senior or a college senior who's trying to find out his future, I don't think the phone contact is nearly as, as important because, A, the kid knows what he's looking for, and B, they're more just more aware that they need to be involved with it and doing it on their own as well. And by the way, I guess Pagano will be at Oregon this weekend. It was supposed to be his next trip. So, talking to a few people, that sounds like the school that I think is the biggest threat to Oklahoma. I I've talked to a few people that don't think Notre Dame's nearly as real a threat as is kind of the public perception with him. Um, interestingly, I even heard some talk that Clemson is still a possibility. That he could go back there. Wow. Now I I've never heard of that. If yeah, if he does that, announcing that you're transferring and then just going back after yeah. taking visits to other campuses, that's the most baller thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> like getting free trips to go hang out and then go back to home. Honey, yeah. honey, we need to take a break, and then you go to Las Vegas and have some fun and come back. No, honey, never mind. I think we should get back together. Well. It, 
see, and of course Joe goes to relationships. Um, Hawaii, I mean, the guy's from Hawaii. Like maybe he just really wanted to see, you know, middle America. I, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, that's that I, when I talked to, when I heard the rumor, I kind of contacted some guys at our Clemson site and they acted like they hadn't heard anything like that. So that may have just been kind of a flyer, you know, it, but I mean, where I got it makes me think that it's not completely out of the question. But like I said, I, I think it's probably going to come down to OU and Oregon. That, and everybody I talked to, Carrie, I'm sure you have some input on this as well. But everybody I talked to felt like it went really well with Pagano. Like they, they did a lot to impress him, kind of made him think about some things and see that, you know, like we've talked about for a few weeks, there's playing time there for him if he can take it. I think it was a little uh, almost bracing for him to come from a place like Clemson and come to Oklahoma and see basically that they had four defensive tackles and two of them weren't even practicing the day that he was here. Like, I don't think there's any questions. Like, I'm sure he probably thought, oh, they're hiding people. Like, they're, they told people just not to come to practice today or something. Because I, I, it's one of those things, like, if you're on the outside, you would never think that Oklahoma would be in the position that they're in on the defensive line. But they're oh, yeah. in it. I mean, there really is a chance for you to come in and play right away. Yeah. Oklahoma has two healthy bodies. Clemson has two future first-rounders at defensive tackle. <laughs> yeah. And probably an extra future one hidden away that nobody Yeah, really absolutely. About. You're right. So, Josh, you probably have already talked about this, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on where Pagano actually where, – where does he fit in uh, in this Oklahoma defense, especially since we're not even quite sure what this Oklahoma defense is going to be? Where do you think Pagano's game – how does it translate if he ends up coming to Norman? That's That's – I mean, to me, that's the biggest question because, you know, you're talking about – not only trying to figure out what he is, but figuring out what OU does. I mean, because I, I think, to me, I don't see him as a pure, or as that one technique or a zero technique in the three. So I, I don't think he's that in any situation. I think he's either going to play the three when you're looking at a 4-3 scheme, or he's going to slide outside and probably play end if Oklahoma goes with what they've done the last few years. So he, And that's where it gets interesting because, I mean, yeah, there, there's playing time to be had, but is Oklahoma going to stifle the the progress of Neville Gallimore at that three technique to play Scott Pagano? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe if they feel like he's clearly the better option, but Gallimore's your guy for at least probably two more years. So it's it. I don't know. That's kind of interesting to me. I'm sure they would like it if he was a pure nose who could kind of do some things, but the bottom line is they just need bodies inside, and especially a guy with his experience and his you know, played on the stages he has. Uh, in terms of visitors this weekend, I mean, it's, I think the good thing about this weekend, yeah, it's going to be bad for the fans. It's going to be vanilla. Um, it's going to be a very short major scrimmage. I mean, in terms of, yeah, you'll get to see Baker. You'll get to see Abdul Adams. You'll get to see, uh, you know, Jordan Thomas a little bit. But those guys won't be on the field for long. I mean, I would be surprised if any of the starters make it to halftime Saturday. Into the first quarter. It might be. I mean, I could, I could envision doing that. The good thing about it is, though, to me, Josh, is you've got all these new facilities. You've got uh, excitement around the campus. 
it should be fantastic for coaches to be able to kind of spend some extra time and, and, and use some extra effort on the kids that are visiting this weekend. Well, and I got to ask you guys, what's the weather supposed to be like in Norman? Is Beautiful. it supposed to be a good? I think it's supposed to be really nice. A uh, little, little windy as usual yeah. uh, for the spring game, but I think it's uh, mid, mid-70s mid with uh, 15 to 20. Oh, see, that's, I mean, that's beautiful. Because, I mean, you think about, what was it, two years ago when they had the really serious tornado concerns? Yep. And, I mean, th- they've just had really terrible luck with their spring game for a few years now. But if yeah, the weather's there, rained. I mean, you look at guys, you know, Cameron Rising obviously is coming in. That's another chance for Oklahoma to kind of settle that situation down. And like I said, I don't think that's a big deal. But it, it's just another chance to have him in the fold, around other commitments, and just kind of continue to build that bond. But, I mean, uh, Ron Tatum will be there. Uh, Jalen Redmond will be there. Bryce Bray, like I mentioned earlier, will be there. Another one that's really interesting is Malik Van is coming in from Ohio, the big kind of edge rusher guy that, to me, is kind of in a race with Jalen Redmond. If, If Van jumps on board... I don't know how they take Redmond. So that'll be kind of interesting to watch how that works. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and that's that's just a preliminary list. I've gotten more serious over the last 24 hours of starting to check with guys because when I do it two weeks in advance, everybody's story changes, and I have to go back and check it again anyway. So we're working on that list. We're going to get that out here in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good group. And like you guys said, when OU's coaches don't have to spend – you know, they know what they're rolling out there. They're going to be on the field, but it's not a make-or-break moment for them. So as soon as they get done with that spring game, they can turn right into recruiters, and they can make sure those kids are getting all the attention they need and having all their questions answered. And that is how you start to try to pick up commitments, which, frankly, OU hasn't done that much in their spring games through the years. I think it's interesting, too, just in the fact that there are so many young guys on campus, how they can spin it and say, you know, insert name – they were your age last year. Now they're playing here in the spring game. This is what we want to do with you when you get here kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and that's what, to me, I mean, the Marquise Brown story is really cool, but just to see all these young guys, you know, I mean, you get to see Kenneth Murray that everybody's been raving about all spring, and you get to tell, you know, whatever linebacker you happen to have, hey, that could be you this time next year. By the way, Kenneth Murray, after practice, he was – like the last guy off the field over there just destroying bags. That was, it seems like there's at least a handful of guys every practice that we've been there for uh, interviews with guys staying after. Actually, one of the most impressive guys that was there was Jordan Thomas, that he would stay there so long. Yeah. And work on his game. Do you think the staying after makes their game that much better or just the staying after? Staying after after is just shows their work ethic, and that's why they get as good as they are. I mean, do you think really staying a few minutes after every practice does that stuff really add up? Joe, I think you it can, does. Joe, you can leave early if you need to. <laughs> you don't have to. I, if you if you're going if you're if you don't know what you're working on, if you're just doing stuff, then I mean, are you really improving? I don't know. So Joe, what I feel like hard work. Joe is a position coach. Like would walk over and be like. Be cool, man. Just hang out. Like you don't have to do all this. He's Go like on in the there and big relax. Big Lebowski is a coach. I, I, oh, I wish. I w- the more coaches need some dude in them. I'll say that. I, I, and by the way, 
I would. I think, Their players will suck if they have the dude oh, coaching no. them. Have you? There's a modern wave of new coach. Pete Carroll's got some dude in him. Yeah, so and Seahawks guess what? Are, Seahawks are pretty. That's good. why Nick Saban is dominating this game right now. I mean, Pete Carroll's got some rings. He's doing okay. He's got one in the NFL. Nick Saban. I guarantee do that. you, Pete Carroll. Urban Meyer nearly is killed himself. Capable of killing a man. Yeah. Yeah. Pete Carroll's like practices are the most intense practices. In fact, I just watched a uh, video about it. There's like a five minute video of a. Have you ever watched yeah, Cam Chancellor play football? The, the practices, not the after he doesn't practice. Doesn't care about himself. Not the after practice. I don't think it's under overrated. I'm calling it overrated right now. I'll well, tell you. I mean, it does. Show, I mean, Adrian Peterson's a perfect example. Best player on the field, but also worked as hard or harder than anybody else on the team the whole time he was here. I mean that says something, right? I'm like saying if it's it shows their work ethic, but the actual the drills they're going through, I'm not sure that stuff that you see translate on, on the game. Not on, like not one day you're gonna suddenly become a better player, but if you do it enough, I mean it's like anything, Joe. Like enough repetition, you're going to get better at something. Yeah, I, I, I but think, it's the wrong repetition. Well, what do you mean, like? He's just being argumentative, I think. Basically, yeah. I think say. So. I mean, I don't think they're going to be on the practice field like doing things that the coaches aren't. Joe teaching is them. bored with this podcast. <laughs> he calls bullshit. And he wants to start some shit. I'm just saying we're going to praise Kenneth Murray. I mean, he's great. He looks great. Everybody says he's great. But I mean, spending 20 minutes after practice tackling pads is. You know. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go ahead and predict someone starts a Kenneth Murray thread when Kenneth Murray has like six tackles in this game. It's like, Joe, Joe, you said he sucked. You told us he sucked. I think I've been posting (laughs) notes every week about how great he looks and everything great. I just think this stuff is, I think people get way too into those little stories. But you're wearing a cardigan right now. That's 100% true with a bow tie. God, you are such a hipster. Yeah, I mean it's, it's a fake boat. Yeah, it's it's a, a fake tuxedo. It's shirt. from a softball team, so that's that's the enigma that is Joe. I wear a beer league softball shirt, but I have a card cardigan over it. With corduroy pants, is that what we were running? No, they're just uh, just brown pants. What did you wear to the Dallas Rivals camp? Uh, what did I wear to the Dallas? Flannel. I wore uh, well, I wore a button up and I think these pants. But then they made me switch shirts. They made all the Rivals guys put on those polos, which was a, yeah probably a great sight for all the parents on hand. All of us taking our shirts off and seeing that good sight because. We all know Rivals, Rivals publishers are in the best Drake shape. Drake Stoops just come over and laugh at you. <laughs> Eddie and Joe can attest. They tried to strong arm me, and I was like, Mm-mm, no, my shirt's at home. I'm good. I, I don't need that. So, like, three different people are like, Josh, you got your Rivals shirt? I'm like, yeah, it's at home. I, I wore this instead. Yeah, talk, so, I think Josh has got more inner dude than he lets on. I mean, he just shows up when whatever he wants to wear, I mean, flip-flops, whatever, and, he, and that's just what Josh is going to wear. And, no one, yep. and everybody gets they, it. Everybody's like a kid at Rivals. When I go to St. Louis, I ain't changing shirts. I'm just be like, no, you can go shove that up your ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, – but I will say, and Joe and Eddie and I all talked about it, I think these are some of the stronger Rivals camp shirts in a while. They've got oh, yeah. the uh, the Adidas three-stripe down the shoulder. They're pretty strong looking. Okay. And black is always smart when you're trying yes. to uh, cover – For up. big, unhealthy dudes. There you go. I saw Josh photos in the background. Did you like get your head shaved? You're cutting it a little close these days. Yes, I'm. You were just I've got bragging about. Close. I think you were just bragging on one of our podcasts about how you could have long hair if you wanted to, but Tiffany always talks you out of it. So now yes. she's gotten it to the point where you're just going in and saying, "Give me the number two. Well, part of it is I've also the guy that cuts my hair. Like, and I've never done it the way I'm doing it right now. I've got it kind of like slicked. I'm very Gordon Gecko right now. It's what I feel like every time I do it. Um, and I don't know that Eddie and Joe will even get that reference. Um, Wall Street. But 
it's it's very it's like slicked over so it looks even like shorter than it is because I've got it real kind of tight to the to the head. So you, you you look like the '80s villain, right? That's that's the look exactly. I think of. Yeah, uh, I'm like the '80s stockbroker villain. That that's that's me. Yep. You you graduate from being like '80s ski douche to being mm-hmm. '80s stockbroker villain. That's how that guy's life goes. That that's I literally I'm <clears throat> I'm an evolution of an '80s uh, <laughs> villain. So. Okay, we're running up against the time here. Uh, let us. I'm sorry to interrupt like that. That was kind of harsh. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the spring game. Just kind of. Uh, what we're looking forward to uh, after talking to people for the last few weeks. Uh, obviously, we talked a lot about Kenneth Murray. I mean, I, I, you got to see him. You got to see what he's all about. But Joe, I know you were kind of putting together a list of guys that you're anxious to see. Uh, give us a couple off of that one. Well, and it's going to be my, my list is a little different. It's not so much about seeing young guys. It's more about, all right, if how are we going to look at the 2017 season? And, and what can we actually see that helps me think about, you know, this team that wants to win a national title? Who's going to actually help them? So I, someone like John Michael Terry, I think, is huge for this team. Uh, he mentioned that yeah, it was going to be agree. him and Curtis Bolton are kind of in that battle for Jordan Evans' spot. And as long I, as he's not doing worthless post-practice I, stuff. I mean, I, he does not like my questions, by the way. Every time I ask John Michael Terry a question, he just says, I don't, I don't get he's it. He's just not comfortable being interviewed yeah. yet. It's just, I don't think it's you. Well, it really is like trying to, he still hasn't done a lot of interviews. They'll work with him, but it's like interviewing a kid in high school still. I don't think I you mean, don't know if you're supposed to like slit your wrist or just walk away. I feel like an idiot. I'm like, well, I must ask that just horribly because he looks complete. Like, what the what, what do you even want me to say, crazy guy with your hair? But, <laughs> uh, I, I, but on the field, I think he's going to be major. They don't important. let hippies go up to Victory Christian very much. <laughs> Probably just not used to your kind. John Michael Terry's the Cartman of the football team. <laughs> Dirty hippies. <laughs> I'm used to it. Uh, and I'll also, I'll throw out a Parnell Motley, someone that, I mean, especially yeah. with the Jordan Parker news. I mean, yeah, we haven't even hit on that yet. He, he's got yeah. a ton of buzz from guys and not only buzz like, oh man, he's, he's playing well. We, we like the way he's, you know, putting in work, or, but just, he's making plays. You hear that he's, he's picking off passes and he's, he looks like somebody who's going to be a game changer or possibly be a game changer. So that's, that's someone who's exciting to see. And I think also in that, that backfield or that defensive backfield is Will Sunderland. You know, he's someone people have been excited about, I think for a while, and it's it's one of those you know it kind of happens in college football where it's it's his turn now and people are excited to see what he does uh, with that stage and he's someone that I know we've all been high on for a while and I, I think we're just as excited as everybody else to see what he does with the opportunity. I think the one thing that you're really going to get out of the sp- or what the coaches will get out of this spring is that their offensive line is so good and so deep. If a guy like Emmanuel Beal really can't hack it, you should know. Come at because that Ohio State game is the second game of the year. You don't have a lot of time to screw around. You've got to know: Do we have run stoppers on our defense? You know, Caleb Kelly is good to go. Uh, is John Michael Terry? We don't know. Is Emmanuel Beal? We don't know. And I think that's going to be the thing that you're going to learn out of this spring, and a little bit what we'll be able to judge because it sounds like the the running backs are at times just running wild on this defense because that offensive line is so good yeah and i you know i on the offensive side of the ball carry i thought it was kind of interesting with what you were talking to lincoln riley about yesterday just in that he him and baker mayfield have really focused on getting on the same page this year because they know how important it is to to get off to a fast start offensively 
and getting everybody on the same page. And, you know, it's something that I think they struggled with, obviously, in the Houston game and the Ohio State game a season ago. And going into this year, I, you know, I, I just think it's interesting that they, they know that they need to take advantage of the springtime to get on the same page. So when they do start in August, it's kind of just they a, got a lot picking, of new moving parts. Right. And they got to they got to get to mesh together by the time the season starts. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is they're just not going through the motions this spring. They're using this period to really improve themselves, I guess. I, and I guess that's not really a surprise to anybody, but it was just interesting the way that he talked about it. Well, and there seems to be a lot of confidence that they'll be fine at receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll get to be the judge of that Saturday. About to say that—that's a—they—they're confident and good for them. But I, I'm a—you know—I think if I were a fan, I'd be a little more hesitant. You'd want to make sure that that's—that looks good before you're uh, feeling that good about the season. Regardless, I mean, my favorite part of the spring game will be if receivers do well. It's because the defensive backs right. are shitty, and if the defensive backs do well. It's because the receivers are shitty. So or if they don't run the ball well, it's because the running backs are terrible. Yeah, I, I've, I could, I could ingest the knee-jerk reactions from a spring game into my veins and live for a thousand years. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't get too fired up. If you're listening and you're getting jacked up because the spring game is coming up, I've been through, I don't know, nineteen of these now. And several, several, several years ago, I realized that stop expecting to see something awesome like a football game. This isn't going to be the Sugar Bowl. It's not going to be Bedlam. Hell, it's not even going to be OU Iowa Iowa State. It's going to be, for a little bit, you'll see some real football. And before you know it, that real football will be replaced by most of the people... From 85 to 115 on the on the roster. Talking about that 85 scholarships to... It's like a diet scrimmage. You're not even probably getting a real look of what their practice scrimmages look like. And you're not going to see anything... I mean, I'll say this. Lincoln Riley is the type of guy that says, we're just going to be really vanilla, yet he's put in like four secret you know, trick plays for this thing that he'll never use in a game. Because that's just how he rolls. And if you want to think strategically, that's not a bad move. Put that on tape for someone to have to look at. It's like Mike Leach when he got here. They ran the ninja in the first spring practice where they had the three linemen then what split out at each side with the receivers. And Urban Meyer doesn't know if that's a bluff or not. He's going to go through that tape. Well, exactly. I mean, if that's you know, I know you always said that's their concern is showing too much and that kind of thing. Well, use it to your advantage. If you think everybody's going to watch it and evaluate it, Throw some crap out there you don't have any intention to use. I like the one, that one time they let the guy call a play from the press box a fan, and it was like a 50-yard touchdown pass to Jermaine Gresham. Just yeah. do that. Put a fan up there. Lincoln Riley doesn't need to practice calling plays. You should let recruits call plays. That's a great idea. Oh, wow. That's a genius idea. And and make it to where the defense knows like they're not to they're to screw up. They're to let it go for a touchdown. There'd be somebody. There'd be somebody out there that wants to take their scholarship away for running the ball on or passing the ball on a third and three. Cam Rising can't ever run an offense. Yeah, I think call you should a, let call a run play third and six. I think you should let Cam Rising go up there and call a series. That's interesting. I, I'm. 
Kerry, you might be onto something there. I'm trying to think if there would be any reason why you couldn't do that. Like NCAA rules prohibited? Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything, and I can't think of anything that would cross up and ask for forgiveness, you know, and, not permission. Like give, you know, give your quarterback a series and let him run plays. I think that's a great idea. And I don't, what, yeah. screw, screw the NCAA. I mean, why would they care? I mean, they'd care about because they're the NCAA. Yeah, if if you're Kevin Wilson and the fan comes up to the press box and calls a 50 yard touchdown pass, you just have to a little bit inside be thinking, ah, crap. This oh, you were hoping for failure, right? Kevin Wilson wouldn't let a fan come up into the press box. No, he was that he was the offensive coordinator when the fan did that. Mm-hmm. He probably got paid extra to do it. <laughs> no, I think the guy he won an auction. He paid a boatload of money to be up there. I should say I feel like Kevin would have a beer with that guy. No, I think he totally did. Uh huh. Like he dug it. He thought it was cool. Well, that's he, awesome. I think he even talked about it in the post game. Like it was kind of self deprecating. Like. Well, fans always think they can call plays better than me, and today one did. <laughs> uh, Too bad he didn't awesome. remember throw it to Gresham against Florida. Oh, no. hey oh. Well, Eddie's buddy did throw that pick down out of the goal line. Oh, it's getting up. By the wow. way, did you see that photo that uh, Joe Bettner tweeted out, that Friday Night oh, that Lights cool. thing? Yeah, he... He omitted me in it. I told him he needed to put me in it. No, I, I, I said the same thing. I sent, him a, I sent him a picture. But I just realized you would be the perfect Friday Night Lights character. You Tim Riggins? No, you would be... Uh, uh, what's Landry's name? The guy no. that, that's best friends with the quarterback that kills someone. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's you, that's uh, you to a T. That's cool. <laughs> But he killed someone. Well, he was a sexual predator. What is this Game of Thrones and Friday Night Lights put together? It was the really there was a there was a dark season on Friday Night Lights. Did you not watch the show, the TV show, Joe? No, and I'm gonna have a friend really mad at me now because he's been begging me to for years. But no, I haven't seen it. It's a great show. Oh, it really it's fantastic. was. Yeah. Except for when Landry Clark, that was his name, when Landry Clark murdered someone. Yeah, it got they, really weird for a while. But what was weird is like. They realized they were going down the wrong path, and then the next season it was almost like it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's network programming. Yes, at its best. That's and then and then uh, Michael B. Jordan joined the cast, and it all got He's great, great again. That's kind of how shows work, though. It's kind of a season by season thing. You know, if you watch Dexter, I mean, season four was some of the greatest television ever, and then it just—I mean, talk about Fell jump the shark. I mean, after that was terrible. That's the way Sonny was for me for a while, but Sonny's now come back. Oh, I, lo- I, I like watching Sonny again. Yeah, I yeah. love Sonny. I just it, watched see the, Wade, the, the Wade Boggs episode. I just watched that the other day. That's great. That was just <laughs> there will be no better. There's no better television than Always Sunny. First, second, third, and you're right, Josh. Fourth year, first it, four were amazing. It really fell off, but I have been. I got a little bit back into it. I haven't watched. I don't think the last two weeks. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. It, it's def, I, like I probably lost me for three or four years there, and now I'm kind of back on board. I, that's some of, that's the best comedy on TV. That's that's good stuff. All right, so spring game coming up. Uh, yeah, I am looking forward to see seeing Baker Mayfield throw to some of the guys, especially Marquise Brown. Uh, look forward to see the running backs. Like you mentioned, Parnell Motley, somebody that people really need to pay attention to. Uh, you're not going to have Demetri Flowers. You're not going to have Rodney Anderson. Uh, you're not going to have Jordan Parker. No A.D. Miller. No Stephen Parker. No uh, Obo Karonquo. No Parrish Cobb. No Parrish Cobb. 
So is A.D. Miller not out there anymore? Uh, no, I actually asked uh, Lincoln Riley about him yesterday, and he said that uh, he's been banged up, hasn't been practicing the last couple weeks. Okay. Wow. Traveling around, finding that new school. Damn. He's at the top of the probably going to transfer list for me. Yep. I, I asked Riley, and he said, I said, well, where's uh, A.D. Miller been? And he said, he's in Norman. That was that was his response. That was his answer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. It, I mean, he was laughing about it, but it was pretty funny. So it's a it's apparent like it's not maybe so much injury as much as it is just He said it was injury. He said he's been nicked up, but it kind of gave the he's been nicked up. We don't nicked really up see usually him. Usually means you're out at practice every day working however you can. Yeah. That's crazy too if you think about it. Against Ohio State last year, he was opposite Dede Westbrook. And he had a huge game, and he could have had... No, I would say if you're, you're making up a transfer list, A.D. Miller is at the top. Antoine Stevens is pretty high up, I would think. Although, we talked to him last spring, I think, and he could not have been a, a bigger pleasure to talk mm -hmm. to. But it doesn't sound like he's very good at football. If Justin Broyles is the fourth quarterback. The, if you show up to practice, they'll still pay for your degree. So, If that's what you want to focus on. So, I, I don't... I think there's a few guys on the basketball team that that might be what's happening. I want to see something eventually out of Prentice McKinney, but I haven't really heard. I, I guess I guess we've only talked to Mike one time. I don't know. I, I wasn't over there with Kerry no. Cooks the other day, so he might have mentioned him. One day I tried to get everybody to talk about that group of safeties because personally I always thought McKinney was just on that same tier with Sunderland and uh, Houghton. I thought he was that good and, and I'm trying to get, you know, there's that buzz for Sunderland and Houghton's in there and I try to get people to talk about McKinney and every time I brought up his name people didn't carry on with that. They would just talk about Sunderland and Houghton. So hmm. I, I think he's been, I don't know, a little buried by that by the guys in front of him. I mean, you hear about, more about Chance Sylvie and Will Johnson playing back there yeah. than you do about Prentice McKinney it seems like. I hate to say this because he's a great kid but I put Ricky DeBerry on the transfer list, potential transfer list. I think that's that's, that's one that kind of goes overlooked because so if offers. this experiment doesn't work, he's not going to play, just period. He's not playing. I just don't think it's working. I haven't heard yep. one person or had one person tell me, oh, yeah, Ricky DeBerry's looking really good in the middle. It was about as – it was about as underwhelming, I guess, uh, Mike Stoops' response when you talked to him about yeah. – uh, Ricky DeBerry. It was pretty much, uh, we're doing this, give him another chance, but it's not going to work out, so we're really banking on somebody else. <laughs> I mean, that that was basically what it's he not said. not exactly what he said, but you could... Paraphrasing. You could, yeah, you could kind of get that from the conversation. Hey, on the flip side, and I know we're kind of up against it, so I'll, you, know, you guys make it quick or whatever. Has the praise for Will Sunderland surprised you guys? Like, I mean, they're talking about him like an all-time safety talent. Like, both... Cooks and Mike are like, he's among the most talented guys I've ever worked with. And I think he's really good, but that's even surprised me with how open they've been about it. The level of hype is very surprising. I mean, the, yeah. for, people, for them to be excited about Will makes sense. But I, I, I was there both times when Kerry Cooks and Mike Stoops both said that he was one of the most talented guys I've ever worked with. That's, that's something that's, that's a bigger statement than some of the other stuff you hear at practice. And that's something that they both seemed comfortable just letting roll off the tongue that, yeah, he's that talented and. It's just about whether or not it shows up on the field and if he knows how to... I think I think Kerry Cooks put it interestingly where he said kind of Khalil Houghton's the opposite. Khalil Houghton knows where he's supposed to be. He knows the alignment. He's always... But he kind of has trouble trusting what he sees and reacting and playing athletically. And Will's, Will's more the opposite. I wonder if Will isn't that kind of personality that 
until he sees himself. It's a rare personality. You got to have a lot of talent to, to pull this off. But it's almost like the kind of guy that doesn't really bear down until he sees or gets a little taste of, well, you're going to be playing. Because it, it does really seem like he gets kind of, he's got like ADD or something when it comes to the practice field. Because like he gets it, like he got in the Texas game last year, impressed the hell out of Mike Stoops. As soon as the game was over, he said, we got to find a way to get him on the field more. And then it just tailed off as the season went along to when I asked Mike, you know, like later on in the season, well, you said this about Will, where's he been? And it turned into kind of, well, we got to see more on the practice field. So it's obviously an issue where he hasn't been able to impress people on the practice field. Yeah, that's the subtext when you say someone's that talented, but they haven't been playing for you, right? Because if you say he's that talented, but everybody knows he wasn't playing for you. They're trying to motivate him, yeah. Uh, yeah. Practice is overrated anyways. Get him in the game. See, Eddie's, Eddie's coming around. <laughs> no, I, practice is overrated. Working after practice, not overrated. <laughs> Eddie's, Eddie's hierarchy goes games... After practice and then actual practice in that order of importance. Correct. Yeah. I think I think that's the way mo- a lot of fans feel. Because there's going to be Iverson was just games. Yeah. There I was mean, no other hierarchy. That's why people love that quote so much. I I love that quote too. All right. Well, we're uh, not as long as we have been in the past, but we're still long. And Joe has uh, an appointment. That's what kind of why we tried to get this thing out early today. So. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Uh, don't forget, go check us out on iTunes if uh, you're on an Apple device. Uh, please give us a rating uh, and maybe some comments about the show. That always helps. Uh, and uh, we're on all platforms now. We've had a lot more people listening on Stitcher, on Google Play. So the podcast continues to grow month after month. We really appreciate everybody listening in. Uh, we love doing the show for you as well. Uh, so thanks a lot for listening, and uh, we're going to sign off for Josh McQuistian back in his home studio. Uh, for Eddie and Joe, who are uh, here with me in our main studio, thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you guys next time on the next edition of the Unofficial 40.